With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. And a very happy weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I'm glad you're with us on the program. I don't know if you heard the big news that happened this week. Yes, indeed, you were very excited. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the fact that on Monday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit an all-time high. No, 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 no. Stop that applause. Stop that applause. No, I'm not talking about the excitement that the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit an all-time high on Monday. I'm talking about the fact that on Tuesday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed unchanged. 0.00. Yeah, I mean, that is the big news, and it's twofold. Number one, this is an extraordinarily rare event. Since 2001, this has now occurred only three times. Yeah, it happened once on December 21st, 2001, during the 2008 credit crisis. If you're a longtime listener of this radio show, if you've been listening to this program since 08, you know that I made the bold prediction in 2008 and 2009 that we would again see the Dow close at 0.00. And in fact, it happened. My prediction came true on April 24th, 2014, over five years ago. And it has now happened again. November 12th, 2019, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has closed at 0.00. And now you can offer the applause for my incredible predictive skills. Thank you very much, I really appreciate that. Oh, a little more applause there. Yes, there we go. Okay, good enough for that. So why are you saying it's such a big deal, and why am I bragging about the fact that I made such an outlandish prediction and it has now come true, not once but twice? Well, here's the drill. I was kind of cheating. You see, I don't make predictions, and you know that. If you listen to this radio show for any length of time, we never predict anything. I never tell you what's going to happen next. Nobody knows. Why, then, was I willing to predict that we would see a 0.0 trading day on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, the real reason, as I say, I kind of tricked, is that it's really not all that rare. In fact, back, I, I got to explain this to you, back in 2001, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, all stock prices, in fact, were quoted in fractions 
You know, you used to remember you used to hear stories that the stock went up three and three eighths, or stocks went up, you know, one and a half. Everything was quoted in fractional trading, one eighths, one sixteenths of a share. Well, in 2001, due to digital technology, the New York Stock Exchange converted to decimals. That was in 01. And prior to that, prior to this in 2001, having a 0.00% day was, was not rare at all. It was common. And it happened 164 times. In fact, it happened 10 times in the 1990s. It happened four times in 1979 alone. It really wasn't a big deal. It became a bit more rare after 2001 due to decimalization because we were able to get much more specific uh, in the number calculations. And as the value of the Dow rises, you know, now we're at a 28,000 Dow, and as the Dow gets bigger, the daily moves get bigger. I mean, back in the 1930s, a five-point trading day was a huge day, five points. Today, 500 points is routine. And so when you're only trading five points a day, well, you'll inevitably have days of zero because the swings aren't that big. But when you have prices moving hundreds of points in a day, a 0.00 is really a bit of news. And I predicted back in 08, we're going to see a 0.00 trading day. And the reason I said that was to make a point. And since it happened again on Tuesday, I need to make the point again for you right now. You see, on Monday, as I said, the Dow rose dramatically in value and hit another all-time high. That is an optimistic view. That's a bullish view. That is investors saying, we feel good about stock prices, and we're bidding them up to the highest prices ever. But on Tuesday, the very next day, the stock market was unchanged. It didn't grow further. In other words, the optimism and enthusiasm and excitement seemed to have waned, but it didn't fall either. Investors weren't scared or pessimistic to say, I want to sell. The Dow was literally unchanged, 0.00. What does that mean? It's a very important message that Wall Street is sending. And this was the point that I had made back in 08 when I made the prediction then. Remember what was going on in 08 with massive losses in the market like crazy. And I said, at some point, we will see a 0.0 trading day. And the reason is simple. A 0.00 trading day on the Dow is the investment community's way of saying to you, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen next. And therefore, we don't know whether we should buy or whether we should sell. And until we figure it out, we're going to sit here and do nothing. It's kind of like when you get to one of those intersections. You know, we get to one of those four-way stops. You get there, and you see other traffic, other cars, and other sides of the intersection. You see little kids playing with a ball, and there's a dog running loose. And what do you do? You do absolutely nothing. You sit and wait until you figure it out, when is it safe to go? You don't back up either. You don't turn off the engine and get out of the car. You just wait until it becomes more clear as to what you ought to do next. And that's the message that the stock market has been sending. And that is why you need to recognize these uncertainties, because a lot of people are trying to answer this very question. We're at an all-time high in the Dow. 
and the S&P 500, should we keep going? Should we keep investing? Or is a recession on the horizon? There's increasing conversation about that. There's also concern about the election coming up. Who's going to be elected in 2020? What will their economic and fiscal policies be? What will the, be the impact of those policies on stock prices? And so everybody's trying to figure this out. And in the meantime, nervousness rises because we don't know which way to go. And when I say nervousness rises, let me just put that to you in context. Right now, nervous investors have placed $3.4 trillion into cash. They've added a trillion dollars to cash over the past three years. In other words, they've been nervous and they're continuing in their nervousness. And I have a message for you. I don't know, maybe I'm screaming that a little too loudly and a little too emphatically, but you get the point. We see at this stage no strong evidence for a recession on the horizon. We see no evidence at this stage as to be able to say with any level of certainty what is going to happen in next November's elections, nor what it will take for Congress in 2021 to be able to enact laws to implement whatever it is that the next president or the re-election of the current president have in store for us. And so my message to you is to not be upset, not be fearful, not be scared, and not be nervous. Although I can suspect of why some of you are feeling nervous, only 18% in a recent survey say they feel very confident in their ability to make the right financial decisions. And 57% say they would save more if they had more knowledge on how to do it. That's why we're here. If you need help figuring all this out, trying to sort through the data dump you're getting on a daily basis, the Dow rising at all-time highs one day and totally flat the next, give us a call. We'll help you figure it out. 888-PLAN-REC. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricestellman.com. Let me change subjects here on the Rick Edelman Show. You planning to buy a new vehicle? The average price of a car today is about thirty-eight grand, according to Kelly Blue Book. What's it worth five years later? According to Kelly, the average car is only worth half of its original value after five years. Here are the ten vehicles that hold their value the best. The Subaru WRX, the Nissan GTR, and the Nissan Frontier, the Honda Ridgeline, the Porsche 911. Loses third. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 37% of its value over five years. That's one of the 10 best. Toyota Tacoma, Tundra, and 4Runner, they all do really well as well. And the number one car for holding its value, the Jeep Wrangler and the Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. After five years, these cars have lost only 30% of their values. That's as good as it gets. How about the 10 cars that have held their value the least over the past five years? Coming in at number 10, the Chevy Volt, an electric car, lost 68% of its value over the past five years. The Jaguar XJL, the Ford Fusion Energy, the Acura RLX, the Nissan Leaf, all of them lost about 70% of their value. BMW is downright awful. You might want to take away that last letter. The 7 Series, the i3, the 5 Series, the 6 Series, all of them lost 71% of their value over the past five years. Makes you wonder why anybody's driving a BMW. And coming in last, dead last, the worst car for retaining value over the last five years, the Maserati Quattroporte. Yeah, like you were going to buy a Maserati anyway. Lost 72% of its value over the past five years. Buying a car is a core element of the financial planning process. Before you buy that car or lease it, we'll help you figure out what you should buy, how much to pay, and whether you should buy or lease. Call us, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. author of the number one national bestseller, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for being with us on the program. The SEC this week released its annual report and says that in the past 12 months, ending September 30th, they engaged in 526 enforcement actions, $4.3 billion in fines last year. That's the most since 1987 when the SEC started counting it all up. So it looks like there are still lots of issues out there in a post-Bernie Madoff era. The SEC, for example, just this past week charged a New York investment advisor of engaging in a Ponzi scheme. He targeted local Haitians the local Haitian community in New York City, as well as his own family and friends. The advisor's name is Rulis Pierre. He ran an investment club called the Amongst Friends Investment Group. Well, I'd hate to see if, what he would do to enemies. He raised more than $2 million, predominantly from Haitian New Yorkers, and promised them returns, you ready for this, of 20% every two months. You have to wonder who would fall for that. Well, apparently lots of people did. It's not just the SEC that's engaged in protecting investors. So are state regulators. In New Jersey, state regulators have now shut down the first standard financial 
of Red Bank, New Jersey, where they say brokers collected almost $30 million in commissions through unauthorized, unsuitable, and excessive trading. The firm was routinely hiring stockbrokers who had a history of customer complaints and regulatory problems, and they were charging sales commissions so high that customers would have had to generate extraordinary returns just to break even. And now here's my favorite scam of the week. Let's go surfing now, everybody's learning how, come on a safari with me. Yeah, according to the SEC, a Florida man duped investors out of $350,000 by convincing them that he was going to make a lot of money selling motorized surfboards. <laughs> I don't know if... It's possible to have put a motor on a surfboard. But anyway, that's what this guy said he was doing. Roberto Clark Jr. of Palm Bay, he didn't use the three hundred and fifty grand to build motorized surfboards. He instead used the money to buy clothes and go to strip clubs. Everybody's good surfing, surfing USA. So uh, something a little more close to home. Uh, you've got a car. You're thinking of selling it. You know that the car's fallen in value dramatically, right? Even the very best cars over the past five years, as Kelly Blue Book says, lose 30% of their value. The worst, like a lot of BMWs, lose 70% of their value over five years. So you're going to sell your car. You're going to trade it in for a new car. But it's quite possible that the car you're trading in has dropped so much in value that it's not worth as much as you owe on the car. So it's one thing to go to the dealer saying, hey, I bought this car for $30,000. I want to trade it in on a new car. The car is no longer worth $30,000. The car is only worth $15,000. And the dealer says, okay, well, I'll give you the fifteen dollars for the car. But there's a problem. You owe twenty dollars on it. Because the car has fallen in value faster than you've been paying off the loan. 33% of Americans who bought a new car last year traded in a car that had negative equity, meaning they owed more on the car than the car was worth when they traded it in. On average, $5,000. So when they bought their new car, another $30,000 automobile, and they got a new loan, they didn't get a loan for thirty grand because they had to take the residual loan from the old car and add it to the loan on the new car. So they get a new car of thirty grand, only they get a loan of thirty-five grand. Now they owe thirty-five thousand dollars on a thirty thousand dollar car, and then the thirty thousand dollar car falls in value. If it's a BMW, it falls seventy percent or twenty-one thousand. Now they got a car five years later that's worth nine thousand dollars, and they still owe. $15,000 on the loan. And then they trade that one in, and they do it again, and pretty soon, according to a recent study, it's not at all uncommon for people to be buying $30,000 cars with $45,000 loans on them because they keep rolling the debt further and further. This is not sound financial planning. This is not good financial behavior. So if you've got a challenge where you need a new vehicle for whatever reason, will help you figure out how to get a vehicle that doesn't break your bank. Just ask for our help. Triple Eight Plan Rick. We're happy to help you figure it all out. Even the question, should you be buying a car in the first place as opposed to leasing it? 
I mean, think about it. Cars are now technologically advanced far more than ever, especially electric vehicles, which is why the Chevy Volt is one of the worst cars in America for retaining its value. Would you want to buy a smartphone that's two years old? No, because you would want the latest and greatest. Same thing with electric vehicles. We know that one of the problems of electric vehicles is that they don't have very good range. Well, the newer ones have better range. They keep improving the batteries, they keep improving the technology, and the new cars have better range than the older cars. So would you want to buy an older car that only goes 150 miles to a, a charge as opposed to a new car that goes 400 miles to a charge? Therefore, what's the value of the older car? So should you be buying it in the first place? Leasing might be an option for the kind of car that you're thinking of buying. In other cases, leasing is not an option. Like, you can't get a lease on a Chevy Volt. The cars are so cheap in the first place, the monthly lease cost would be as much as what it would cost to buy it in the first place. So you might as well just buy it. You see how complicated it gets. We can help you sort it all through in the context of your broader financial plan. I know, oh, by the way, the holidays are coming up. In weeks to come here on the program, I promise you I will wait until after Thanksgiving. I will share with you, as I do every year, my strategy for helping you avoid going into debt with holiday spending. But one thing I will give you as a piece of advice right now, if you are planning to do some of your holiday spending, your holiday gift buying, at Sears or Kmart, hurry up! They keep closing more and more of their stores. Another 96 of them are going to close by February. They're only going to have 182 left. Five years ago, there were 2,000 Sears and Kmarts in the country. And it's further illustration of how the world of retail is really struggling. And here, very self-servingly and selfishly, is a book that I think is really a fabulous gift. If you're looking for something for those four to eight-year-olds in your household, it's The Squirrel Manifesto, the children's book that Gene and I wrote. It's perfect for the holidays, for giving the young children in your life the advantage of getting off to a good financial start. The Squirrel Manifesto, written for four to eight-year-olds, debuted at number one on Amazon's bestseller list for children's money books, teaches kids the four most important principles of money. Spend a little, save a little, give a little, tax a little. The Squirrel Manifesto is available at Amazon.com and your favorite bookseller. Perfect for those stocking stuffers. I'm Rick Edelman, Triple Eight. Plan Rick is how we can help you here at Edelman Financial Engines. We've been doing it for the last three decades for tens of thousands of folks all around the country. We're the largest independent registered investment advisory firm in the nation, and we're happy to help you as well. 888-752-6742. Visit us online if you like at rickedelman.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Named by Talkers Magazine as one of the heavy hundred talk show hosts in America, this is The Rick Edelman Show. We talk often here on The Rick Edelman Show about the importance of focusing on our future. That's what financial planning is all about. Not so much where you've been or where you are, but where you are headed and where you want to go. And let's face it, there's a single word that is uh, becoming more and more important to us as we deal with our financial planning, and that word is longevity. We're living longer than ever before in the course of human history, and that means we have greater financial pressures as we try to have our money stretch and last as long as we're going to last. And the challenges that we're dealing with on this subject are really something worthy of conversation. And so I'm very excited to bring onto the program today Anna Maria Chavez. Uh, Anna is the Executive Vice President of the National Council on Aging. She's the former CEO of the Girl Scouts, and Fortune magazine named Anna one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. Anna, it's a real privilege to have you on the show with us today. Thanks for having me on. So you've gone from focusing on the growth and development of girls to now dealing with the National Council on Aging, which is the other end of the spectrum of life. Talk about that shift and why you focused on the Girl Scouts to now the broader issue of aging. Sure. So a little known secret, well, not so much if you read my bio, but really interesting work um, that I was involved with actually occurred in Arizona uh, back in the early 2000s. I actually helped oversee all the aging services in the state of Arizona. And what I found out very quickly, obviously, Arizona was a great retirement state, but there were a lot of issues that seniors or older adults were dealing as they entered retirement. And a major issue was around financial security and did they have enough of an SNAG to really retire in the way they wanted to, both from a healthy aging perspective, but also from an economic security perspective. And so I went into the prevention program, which I felt got women prepared for a great future, and that was the Girl Scouts. That was why I ended up in San Antonio running a small Girl Scout council and learned that we have to actually look at the whole lifetime trajectory of women. We have to look on how girls are preparing for their future because, uh, as many people know, the simple fact is women will live longer and they are often the ones in the households who seek information and make decisions about the future of their household. So when I got the opportunity to go back into the aging sector and to work for the National Council on Aging, I was like, absolutely sign me up. And so it's really fascinating. You're right. Retirement planning, financial security, this really is a women's issue. As you pointed out, 80% of the time, women outlive their husbands. And yet women earn less than men. There's still income inequality in this country. Women spend less time in the workforce. They often spend time at home raising children, and then they leave the workforce early to care for aging parents. And as a result of all these things, they accumulate less money in retirement savings than men, and yet they're living longer than men. 
So Absolutely. It, it's a bad combination, living longer and having less to handle well, it. Well, as I would like to say, it's, it's a great option to be able to live longer. I think you're given <laughs> a great opportunity, um, you know, to give back after so many years of being uh, on this great planet. But as my mother would say, we have to think about the future. And for women, especially so, because we do tend to be the caregiver in our household. And for many of us my age, in my fifth decade on this planet, I'm a caregiver for both sides of the spectrum, right? I'm caring for my older parents, but also my 17-year-old son. So I'm doing retirement planning at the same time I'm doing college success planning. And for me, it's the opportunity to work for one, an organization that's been doing great work for almost seven decades, the National Council on Aging. is the longest tenured nonprofit in the country that's been advocating on behalf of seniors. And we're focused on the fact that every day, 10,000 people are turning 65 in the United States. But 54% of those people are women. And by 2030, women over the age of 60 will account for 14% of the total U.S. population. And a six-year-old woman today can expect to live another 24 years. So that means a third of women, 60 years old today, could live till their 90s. So we have to make sure they've got the resources, the financial resources to do so. So given all of that, what is it that the National Council on Aging is recommending that women should be doing right now? Well, first of all, it's all about education, right? Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there is this wealth disparity gap that has followed girls and women um, throughout their careers, and it catches up with them at the end, right, when they're trying to retire. And in addition, among older Americans, the wealth disparity is actually growing uh, for many, and we're really concerned that those who are at risk get the assistance they need. Um, in, in addition, the women's pay gap is an aging issue, and we need to make sure that people understand that they can't just rely on Social Security benefits. So as women think about, you know, their career plan, they may want to actually stay in their workforce options longer to be able to invest in a 401k or or an IRA option, or just put more money into their Social Security benefits. In addition, uh, for people of color, women especially, they feel this disparity at even a greater, higher level. Um, Half of white older adults supplement Social Security with pensions and retirement savings, but only 30% of older African Americans and 20% of older Hispanics are able to do so. Um, And so it's not surprising when NCOA went out and did a research study with Ipsos, which is a great research firm, and we polled Americans age 16 and above about their concerns and looking ahead. And uh, among all respondents, we found out that half reported they are worried that they will outlive their savings. And again, no surprise, women are even more worried that they're going to outlive their savings. Um, And so what we're saying to women in general, um, they have to be visible in this environment. They need to vote. Uh, We're a nonpartisan organization, but they need to ensure that those elected into every office from the local, state, and federal level are focused on programs to provide support for older adults. And they need to think about their fourth stage of life right now. We need to be talking to millennials about themselves, um, not only caring for their older parents or grandparents, but understanding what this gig economy may do to them as they're putting more money into retirement. When you mention the gig economy and the implications there, what is it you're concerned about or excited about? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I've been listening to your show, by the way. I love your show. Great information. And one episode that you had recently talked about the fact that clearly robotics are going to change the landscape of the workforce, mm -hmm. but future employment opportunities are going to be different. And we need to think about that from an older worker perspective, right? When people are entering their 60s, they may choose not to leave the workforce. They may have to stay in the workforce. So what are employers doing now to ensure that they're retraining some of their more tenured employees? And as you said on your program, by 2030, a third of employees will need to be retrained for a new job. And by 2039, 9% of the labor force will be in a sector or field that doesn't exist. So imagine if you've been an attorney for the last 30 years or you've been, you know, an operator of some sort of mechanical device that won't be in existence in 10 years. What are we doing to ensure you can remain in the workforce, specifically those who need to because their Social Security benefits won't last? And so we really need to recognize uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, from Yogi Berra, that the future ain't what it used to be. <laughs> this is true. And we need to therefore acknowledge this and embrace it. Rather than resisting the change, we need to acknowledge that this is the way it's going to be and capitalize on it and prepare ourselves as ideally as we possibly can. And you're right, it starts with education. Uh, so what are the services, uh, in addition to the thought leadership and the research that the National Council on Aging is doing, what are the educational services or resources that you have available for all Americans, not just women? Great question. Well, first of all, um, we are a nonprofit, uh, so our services, again, we provide through other community-based organizations in 43 states across the country. Um, you can go to our website at www.ncoa.org. And I, I would like to point your listeners to two specific programs, just to start off with. The first is Benefits Checkup. Um, it is an amazing uh, online program where with just putting in just a few fields of data, your name, your zip code, your age, um, where you potentially could live, you know, your zip code, and whether you're a veteran, and you can pull up, actually, uh, federal, state, and local benefits that you may be eligible for. So, for example, one of the issues that we hear a lot from older adults is, you know, at the end of the month, I've got to choose between paying for my prescription drug costs or buying a healthy meal. So you may be able to find through Benefits Checkup that you could be eligible for food assistance. It used to be called food stamps. It's now called SNAP. Um, and we can help you find resources to help you fill out that application and bring in more monthly dollars into your bank account. So that's one option. And again, there are different benefits available, whether it's transportation costs, uh, re-roofing your house, um, lowering your electricity bills. And then another program I'd love to point people to is called AG mastery program. Because as I learned in Girl Scouts, right, there are whole institutions built in the United States to prepare children to grow older, right? And there are whole educational systems, K through 12 and higher education, to teach people how to be adults and how to be in the workforce. But what organization is teaching you how to grow old and master aging? 
I don't know if you can do that in college these days, but we have a program that does just that. It's called the Aging Mastery Program. Again, you can find it at our website, www.ncoa.org. And it's a, a course curriculum that you can find in your local community. And it's an amazing set of classes to teach you not only about having critical conversations with family members about your wishes, about you know planning your estate, about you know exercising in the best way possible. So we have a lot of options for your listeners, and we'd love to help out. That's a wealth of information uh, available, and I'm really excited that you've shared it with us. Uh, that's Anna Maria Chavez, the Executive Vice President of the National Council on Aging and named by Fortune Magazine as one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. Anna, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for your help. The National Council on Aging is a proud member of our Funding Our Future Coalition. You can learn more about the work we're doing to save Social Security and improve your overall retirement security by visiting us at FundingOurFuture.us. More with the founder of one of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firms coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show, heading off to Fairfield, Connecticut. Lee is with us on the phone. How can I help you? So my question is, is that GE's offering an option to give eligible participants to receive their GE pension this year. And my question is, I'm 50 years old. Um, it would currently come out to a balance of roughly about 133000 if I took that as a lump sum, mm-hmm. versus if I was to actually wait it says the retirement annuity, uh, November 1st, 2029, my payout would roughly be $5,372 per month. So a lot of financial advisors have reached out about receiving the lump sum pension and having that to be in my control or with a financial advisor. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts are of taking an early pension option. Yeah, I'm not at all surprised you're getting bombarded by financial advisors because financial advisors love to collect assets under management. And if you've got $133,000 as a lump sum waiting for you, there are a lot of advisors who would love to manage that money on your behalf and collect a fee in doing so. Uh, and so that's you know that's how financial advisors get paid. Oh, if not collecting a fee, then charging you commissions for investing the money. However, they will end up investing it, and they are often correct. You know, quite frankly, I mean, I'm in that business too. That's what we do at Edelman Financial Engines is manage assets on behalf of clients, and we are paid to do so. That's how the game works. And often the advice is good that you should take the lump sum, reinvest the proceeds where you can generate as much income as you were going to get on a monthly basis from the pension, perhaps even more. And more importantly, you have control of the money. You have access to that lump sum at any time. If you need the money for whatever reason, it's there, it's yours. Whatever you don't spend in your lifetime goes to your heirs as an inheritance. All of those are advantages of taking the lump sum. You also avoid the concern that your company might go broke uh, or that their pension plan blows up and they aren't able to pay you the monthly benefit as they've been promising you to do. Collectively, state and local governments are $4 trillion short of their pension obligations. 
and that doesn't even include corporations, and you work for GE, and we all know what's been going on with GE. You know acutely well, right? GE has been struggling financially. Its stock has dropped dramatically. Uh, their pension plan is in trouble, which is why they're offering you this buyout. They are happy to write you one check for one hundred and thirty-three grand right now instead of having to write you a check for 5300 starting in about 10 years for every month for the rest of your life. They would much rather give you a lump sum check once right now and be done with you. So it can, in fact, make a lot of sense, and the financial advisors you're talking to may well be right that taking the lump sum is the right thing to do. But, and here's the but, we do need to verify that, in fact, the lump sum is in your best interest in this particular case. And it is always a unique set of calculations. It is always a case-by-case decision. There is no blanket rule that says everyone in every case should always take the lump sum or that everyone in every case should never take the lump sum. We always have to do the math to calculate it out. And we have to consider additional factors that I'll get to in a moment. But let's do the quick math for you, or at least I'll set the stage to show you how to do the math. We really don't have the time here on the radio in just a couple of minutes to actually go through the math, but I'll show you how the math works. It's really rather simple. We know that if you leave it alone in 10 years, you start to receive 5300 bucks a month and you get that check for as long as you live. So that's the baseline. We know that that's what you get as is. The question then becomes... If you were to take a lump sum of 133 grand, how much might it grow in value to by 2029? And how much income could you then draw from it starting at that point? That's 10 years from now. I'm going to assume that the money doubles in value over that 10-year period. And the reason I do that is simply something called the Rule of 72, which says that if you earn 7.2% per year, the money will double in 10 years. Now, I can't promise you'll actually be able to invest it and earn 7.2%. Past performance, no guarantee of future results. I can't tell you what the returns are going to be from your investment portfolio, but let's just guess wildly that somehow, miraculously, you do get to double the account from 133 grand today as a lump sum to 266 grand starting in 10 years. Financial advisors would generally tell you that you can expect to generate a 4% income stream from that piggy bank. 4% of 266 grand is about $10,000 per year, not per month. GE is offering you 5300 a month in 10 years. So I find it really hard to understand how these financial advisors you're talking to are suggesting that you'll be better off by taking the lump sum. I mean, if the GE pension plan crashes by 90%, you'll still be as good with the GE pension plan as by taking the lump sum. So that mathematics alone kind of suggests to me that taking the lump sum is a really bad deal, that GE needs to up the offer. They should be offering you a lot more than 133 grand today if, in fact, the future benefit in 10 years is five grand a month. The second set of questions we have to ask ourselves, however, Lee, is... Things such as how much confidence do you, in fact, have in General Electric to be able to honor their pension benefits? They very well may rebound from their current fiscal challenges, uh, their corporate performance, and they may be perfectly fine and the pension benefit will be safe and secure and be able to deliver with no promises. On the other hand, they may continue to be in a mess and the pension benefit may get cut perhaps dramatically. 
So we've got to evaluate your confidence level and GE's ability to deliver on the promises in the pension plan. Second, we have to consider you. What's your life expectancy? Because when you finally do collect that check starting in 2029, that check comes to you only as long as you're alive. When you die, those checks stop. So if you're married, your spouse gets nothing following your death. Your children, if you have them, get nothing following your death. And would that be a burden to spouse and children? So you have to evaluate this from your circumstances. How long are you likely to live and how important is it that there would be residual benefits for heirs? All that makes sense? It does. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So I would just say on the strict, simple arithmetic, and we would want to meet with you to go through the math a lot more effectively than I've done for you here on the show. It seems to me you should reject this buyout offer and you should reject the advice of other financial planners who seem to be more excited about getting the lump sum so they can manage it for you and earn compensation than is in your best interest. If you were going to tell me this lump sum was a million, that'd be different. But it allows the 133 grand once compared to five grand a month forever. Uh, I would not take the lump sum. Great. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate you calling in, and we're happy to help. We've got offices, in fact, in uh, Connecticut and throughout New England. So if you need our help, want to go through the math, arithmetic, in greater detail, you know what to do. Call the same number you called today, 888-PLAN-RIC. You're all welcome to do that. Not just Lee, but you can do it, too. If you've got questions about whether or not you should take a lump sum, whether or not you should liquidate your retirement savings in a whole, should you follow the advice of someone who's recommending that you do that kind of thing, give us a call. We'll give you the analysis, the evaluation in your best interest to help you decide if what you're doing is, in fact, what you should be doing. 888-752-6742. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Got money. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years. This is The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. Are you a parent of millennials? Well, there's a new study that has just come out from therapists who have as patients parents of millennials, and parents are saying to their therapists that they are stressed 
frustrated and concerned about their grown children needing too much financial help from them. 50% of all Americans ages 21 to 37, i.e. millennials, 50% of all millennials receive some sort of financial assistance from their parents. 50% of parents are sacrificing their own retirement savings in order to help out their children. So, mom and dad, if you've got a millennial child who is stressing you out because you're providing financial support to said child, number one, stop making it so easy. Look, the kid's an adult. Age 21 to 37, these are adults. Back in the day, 18-year-olds were fighting in World War II. They were in Vietnam at age 18. Your kid's on the couch. Watching talk shows during the day and playing Xbox. Seriously? And you're stressing out about this? So it's real simple. Don't make it so easy. Strike a contract with your children. Yeah, a legal contract. You would if you had a renter. You wouldn't let somebody come into your home as a renter in a bedroom without signing a rental agreement. Strike one with your child. What you expect from them while they're living at home and a deadline for when they need to move out. Require that they save a certain amount of money monthly to facilitate their ability to afford their own place within the deadline. Number two, deep breath here, make choices for yourself, even if those choices make your child unhappy. That's perhaps easier said than done, but you need to focus on this. And one big way you can do this is to stop giving your child answers. Now, I'm not talking about not giving them money. I'm saying stop giving them answers and instead start asking them questions. Millennials tend to grow up, when we look at the demographic data across the nation, millennials have tended to grow up in a world where adults told them what to do. You know, when you talk to baby boomers, well, how did you spend your afternoons after school? What baby boomers generally say is, our moms threw us out of the house. And we say moms because, yeah, back then we had stay-at-home moms generally while dad was working somewhere. And so mom threw us out of the house and said, be back by dinner. Mom had no idea where we were going. We didn't have a house key. We didn't have doors locked. And... We didn't have any money in our pockets either. Didn't make any difference. We just went to the local playground or a friend's house. Somebody had a ball, and we put together our own games, right? We chose the teams. We set the rules, breaking them as often as we could, and we resolved our own fights and conflicts. That's not how millennials grew up. Millennials went to organized sports, organized, led, instructed by, and controlled by adults what millennials say, we did what we were told to do. This is why in their 20s and 30s, they're still asking adults older than them to tell them what to do. Stop telling them. Don't answer their financial questions. Don't respond to their career challenges. Instead, ask them questions. Help them learn how to figure these things out. With your advice, your guidance, the benefit of your experience, yes. And along the way, it means this is hard. You need to let them fail. Because we all know we learn our greatest lessons through failure. No better way of discovering, well, let's not do that again. Yeah, lessons can be expensive. They can be painful. They can be time-consuming. But they are always very valuable when we learn from them. 
And in the end of it, stop blaming yourself. If this stuff's stressing you out, you need to have a conversation. No, not just with a therapist. A conversation with your kids. Because I'm willing to bet that your kids are great kids. That they're doing their best. They're struggling in the environment that they're in, which is all new to them. And they are unaware of the fact that you are stressed. They don't know that you're sacrificing your own retirement savings in order to help them out. And they would be aghast to find out. Open conversation and communication will go very far to reducing your stress and helping your children achieve the goals and lifestyle that you wish for them. And to evidence that fact that your kids really do want to get this and get this right, a new survey has just come out, this one from Junior Achievement, showing that 93% of teenagers say that economics education is important. And yet they struggle with basic concepts because most of these teenagers are not getting the financial education they need in economics and personal finance. Only 17 states provide a financial education class for high schoolers. Most parents don't talk to their kids about money, and so kids don't understand the very basics. In their recent survey, it was amazing, 41% of students could not define the word tariff. This has been huge in the news over the past several months, right, because the president has been engaging in a tariff war, a trade war with China and other countries, and yet 41% of teenagers don't understand what tariffs are. That includes 36% who took an economics course. Even they don't get it. Half of teenagers don't understand the fundamental economic principle of supply and demand. And 81% don't know the role of the Federal Reserve. I'm not sure you do either, quite frankly, but we won't go there. What we have to understand is that your kids want to learn this stuff. They agree it's important, and they're crying out for the information provided to them. If you don't know how to provide that information for them yourselves, if your local school isn't providing it for your students, then hand them a book that'll do it for them. And the best place to start, in my view, is my first book, The Truth About Money, written for people who really don't understand what money is. What is money? What's a stock? What's a bond? How do bank accounts work? How do you get out of debt? How do you save? What are mutual funds? Why do we need to save for retirement? How do I pay for a wedding? How do I pay for college? How do I buy a house? Should I buy or lease a car? All the most fundamental basic issues that we deal with on a daily basis, all covered by my book, The Truth About Money. And the lack of financial education, the lack of financial knowledge, is all perhaps contributing to the fact that since 1970, credit card debt has increased 25,000%. Americans now pay more than 100 billion dollars a year in interest and fees to credit cards, and yet 60% of millennials cannot define the word interest. 70% do not pay off their balances every month. Why should I bother paying off my credit card balance if I don't know what my balance is, if I don't understand that I'm paying interest on that balance, and if I don't even understand the implications and the consequences of that interest? But you know what a lot of millennials are counting on? that they are waiting for? Inheritances. 80% of inheritances are less than $250,000. Half of them are less than 50 grand. Do your children realize when they're going to get an inheritance from you? 
Do they know how much that inheritance is going to be? Do they realize that they can't sit and wait for it, that A, they're not going to get very much, and B, they're not going to get it for decades? The Journal of Family and Economic Issues has just revealed that those who do get inheritances, 20% of them who get 100000 or more, spend it as soon as they get it. Most people view their inheritances as free money. They run through it like it's sudden wealth. They spend it on cars and giving the money away to other folks, such as their own children. And many don't anticipate the taxes that are associated with many inheritances, such as money you inherit from an IRA or a 401k. You need to make sure that you're talking with your kids, that you're talking with your adult parents about inheritances, about family spending, about the implication on each other by virtue of the support and services we're providing to each other, receiving from each other. Because it's one thing to have family dynamics. It's another to be living with stress and having to hire a therapist to help you deal with that stress on top of the money that you're giving your children, which is causing the stress in the first place. You see an endless loop here? I give money to my child. It causes me stress. So I then spend more money on a therapist to help me deal with the fact that I'm giving money to my child. Let us know how we can help. Open communication with the family can go very far to breaking this vicious cycle. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. Triple H, Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. with the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Your Future, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. I talked over the past couple of weeks about long-term care insurance. And I made the observation that the real big key for long-term care insurance is that it protects your spouse uh, and your children because the money that you would need to be spending on your care can stay in the family by virtue of the fact that the insurance policy pays for your long-term care. It raised the question from one of our listeners, uh, Rick, that's fine, but what if I'm not married? What if I don't have kids? Do I still need long-term care insurance? And I would say probably not. Think about it. If you have sufficient resources to be able to provide for your care and you aren't terribly concerned about heirs or preservation of assets beyond your death, well, use your resources to pay for your care and support yourself in the best way possible. And if that dramatically reduces the amount of residual assets left over upon your passing, so be it. There's no real reason for the long-term care insurance in that regard. You could self-insure. So... The notion of whether or not you need long-term care insurance, and if so, how much insurance do you buy, and what are the features that are provided for in that policy, all depends not just on your economic circumstances, but your family circumstances as well, and your attitude about inheritances. Some people are adamant that they want all of their money to go to their children. Other people are saying, I don't care. I got my kids off to a great start in life, and they're all doing fine. They don't need my money. I want my money to be used for me. Different points of view, different schools of thought. It's not right or wrong. It's just personal preference. We can help you sort through all of this, regardless of your family dynamic, to determine for you the best course of action for your situation. 
give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742 or visit us at rickedelman.com. Let's go on to the telephone. We've got from Draper, Utah. Marilyn is with us on the phone. How are you doing, Marilyn? I'm doing fine, Rick. Thank you for allowing me to talk to you. It's a real pleasure. Well, it's my honor to have you on the phone with me. So what can I do to help you, Marilyn? Um, I'm wondering, apparently Edelman does not include any socially responsible ETFs in their uh, portfolio. Is that correct? No, not really. Uh, well, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. When we construct portfolios, we are building those portfolios using investments that we believe are in the client's best interest. And we do not believe that ESG, uh, environmental, social, or governance, or SRI, socially responsible investing, we do not believe that those investments are, in fact, in the client's best interest. Uh, these investments are higher in cost. They generally uh, have greater volatility, uh, and history has demonstrated that they generate lower returns uh, with higher taxes on an annual basis along the way. That's a add it all up. It's a lousy combination. So we are not huge fans of ESG investing for that reason. However, we do acknowledge that some of our clients feel very strongly about this issue, and they don't object to inferior investment portfolios because they like the idea of investing in a manner that conforms to their social values. Uh, they don't want to invest in tobacco or alcohol or casinos. They don't want to invest in nuclear power. They don't want to invest in companies that make guns uh, or defense industry uh, stuff. And so they specifically for moral or ethical or social reasons want to exclude certain companies from their portfolios. And we're happy to say, okay, as long as you recognize that you are positioning yourself in a way that is likely to result in higher expenses, lower returns, okay. As long as you have your eyes wide open, you know, there's more to life than money. And if that's okay with you, then it's okay with us. And we do have a portfolio that is an SRI portfolio. So it's available to our clients if they want it. We don't actively recommend it because of the reasons I cited, but it's available to you if you want it. Very few of our clients uh, have taken advantage of that opportunity and have done it. Part of the issue you have to consider, Marilyn, is not merely, hey, I want to invest my money in a manner that is consistent with my social values. The, it gets more challenging than that, more complicated than that, because you're going to put your money into a fund. For example, it's a... You know, one of these mutual funds or ETFs that does it this way, but that fund is being run by a fund manager. And how do you know if that fund manager is going to pick specific stocks in the portfolio that truly honor or reflect your personal values? For example, it might avoid tobacco stocks and casino stocks and uh, gun stocks. You know, it might do that, but then it might invest money in a company that provides oh, um, same-sex health benefits. Um, so, you know, some companies will provide health insurance benefits to employees and their married spouses. But some companies will provide benefits to unmarried partners of employees. And some people have a religious problem with that. Some companies uh, will provide benefits, say, for birth control. 
uh, and some people have a problem with that. Uh, some people say, I, I don't want to invest in defense stocks. Well, okay, but a company that's so huge, you know, I'll, I'll do Boeing, you know, the biggest airline manufacturer. Well, they make aircraft for the military. They also make commercial aircraft. So if you're going to avoid the company involved in the military, that forces you to exclude the number one aircraft manufacturer in the world. So you, you get into challenges of these big corporate conglomerates um, doing lots of different things. General Electric makes light bulbs. It also makes nuclear power plants. How do you say yes to one but no to the other? Uh, so it gets a bit challenging. And how do you know that the fund manager is going to be truly following everything that you believe in as opposed to some of it and not others of it. So it's it's difficult to execute in a way that is truly what you want it to be. And even if you manage to pull that off, you often, too often, end up, historically at least, who knows how they'll perform in the future, they may do just fine, but historically the data shows us they have underperformed the market and they've done so with higher risks and higher fees. And so it's kind of a complicated situation. So here's an alternative idea for you, Marilyn. Go ahead and invest in tobacco stocks or a mutual fund that does, in fact, buy tobacco stocks. Go ahead and do that. Hold your nose. Close your eyes when you write that investment check. And then when you make a lot of money, donate a lot of it to the American Lung Association. <laughs> Good theory. <laughs> I appreciate your comments very much. It's clarified a lot for me. Well, I'm glad that it has. It is, you know, it's such a complicated, convoluted conversation dealing with investment management issues these days. Uh, we all agree that we want our money to be going to good places, not bad places. I mean, none of us would want to support terrorism or drug smuggling. Uh, and where do you, you know, where does that slippery slope stop? Uh, and how can we best do well by doing good? And it, I'm glad you're asking the question because... It's an important one, and we do need to have our eyes wide open when we're investing so that we're not accidentally or inadvertently supporting companies or strategies or products or services that we don't like. And so you're asking the right question, and what you're discovering is that the answer is a little more complicated than we thought. I certainly do understand. Yeah. You've been very clear. One thing I like about you and your radio program is the fact that you are um, detailed but yet succinct as well, and it's uh, much easier to understand than other financial programs that I have listened to in the past. Well, I appreciate that very much. We're, you know, we try to make money as simple a conversation as possible. It's also a very boring subject, as we all know. So I try to make it both informative and entertaining. And I, I hope I deliver on that for you. So thanks so much for calling. I really appreciate that you did. And thank you for letting me talk to you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Marilyn, you have a great afternoon. Thank you, and you too. Thanks. Goodbye. That was Marilyn from Draper, Utah. And if you've got conundrums or confusion of wondering, well, how come I can't do what, what, what it is I want to go do, give me a call. We'll help you figure it out. If there's a way to get it done, we'll get it done for you. 888-PLAN-REC, online at ricedelman.com. For more information on what you need to do now, go to rickedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're taking telephone calls here on the Rick Edelman Show. Heading to Westchester, New York. Charlie's with us on the phone. How you doing, Charlie? Hey, Rick. Good. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. How can I help? Well, as a longtime listener to your show, I'm a big believer in diversification. But my 94-year-old father has followed his own stock-picking path for the last 60 years. <laughs> yeah, for 55 of those years, he was extremely successful. The last five years, not very good. Hmm. Uh, he was way overweighted in certain stocks and sectors, and his portfolio was just too risky. So I finally convinced him to sell most of his individual stocks. But now he's about 65% in T-bills and a money market fund. He isn't interested in adding to his total stock market index fund. At this point, I figure his assets should last about nine years. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear, though, is that he could outlive his money. Mm -hmm. Now, given my father's relatively short time horizon, what asset allocation would make sense for him now? Well, I'm not sure because you haven't told me what his expenses are. Um, they're large. It's about 340000 a year. And what's the balance of his account? How much money does he have? Uh, $3.2 million. So why do you think he's going to run out of money in nine years? Well, that was my calculation, and that's really why I'm calling you. Well, I would agree. If the money is uninvested, meaning it's not earning any interest, and if his money is you know, exclusive... No, it's earning interest. Well, what's the... But you said 65% of the money is in a money market account or T-bills. Right. That's earning, it's, that's earning, you know, 1% or 2%. And it's one where, point, between 1.8 and 2.2. And where's the other 35% of the money? Uh, about 17% in stocks and 18% in uh, bonds, and the bonds earn about uh, 6%. So if all that is correct, then I don't see how you calculate he's going to run out of money in nine years. You're assuming that the $3.2 million minus the three hundred and forty grand that he spends, mm -hmm. yeah, that'll run out of money in nine years. But you're ignoring the fact that the $3.2 million is growing in value. Right, although it's not growing that much because it's only between 1.8 and 2.2. Oh, oh, and 65%, but the other 35%, 6% is you're getting a return on 18% of it. The stock market, you could argue, is getting another 6%. So on 35% of the money, you're getting a 6% return. So I think you're being a little pessimistic as to how long the money's going to last. Um, and I'll take it a step further. If, in fact, you're correct that the money might not last as long as it's necessary to last at the rates of return you're projecting him to earn, then we need to invest the money for higher rates of return. I mean, I get your point that owning a half a dozen stocks is ridiculously over-concentrated and therefore excessively risky for a 90-year-old man. I get that. But that doesn't mean you go from one end of the spectrum to another extreme on the opposite end. That doesn't mean you go to a 65% cash portfolio at 1.2%. I think there's a happy medium here. You've got what we call a barbell portfolio. 
You've got a whole lot of money on one end of the bar, a whole lot on the other end of the bar, and nothing in the middle. I you, know. You're looking at two asset classes, stocks versus cash, and you're not doing anything with any of the other 16 asset classes that exist. So what I would recommend is a far more diversified portfolio, which goes back to the question you were asking me, what should that look like? And that portfolio would hold 16 or 18 major asset classes and market sectors, and the, it would have thousands of stocks, large cap, mid cap, small cap, growth and value, U.S. and foreign, emerging markets. It would have a highly diversified bond portfolio, short term, intermediate and long term, high quality and high yield, U.S. and foreign, government and corporate. It would have exponential technologies such as investments in robotics and AI and 3D printing, nanotech, biotech, bioinformatics. It would have natural resources like oil and gas, precious metals, uh, minerals. It would have commodities. Uh, it would have uh, timber and on and on and on. A portfolio of that sort is what would make sense to try to provide your father with a competitive rate of return that's available from the financial marketplace, generating the income that he needs to support himself and the lifestyle he's accustomed to and needs as his health care demands develop, while trying, and this is a distant third goal, trying to preserve some of those assets for the benefit of his uh, heirs. Right. I was more concerned with not losing than winning. Sure. And it makes uh, perfect sense. I uh, makes uh, a lot of sense. And so, what I would recommend is that we take a opportunity to sit down with you and a couple of my colleagues who can look at your father's overall financial situation. I mean, you said he's spending three hundred forty grand, but he didn't tell me what his income sources are. Does he have a pension? What are his social security benefits, and so on and so forth? Are there ways we can lower his expenses without sacrificing his lifestyle? And oh yeah, I've been way? working on that absolutely. Uh, and so let's figure it all out so that we can achieve the goal of having the money be more likely to last the lifetime he's likely to enjoy. Right. So I, I think I hear you saying that, that we've gone way too conservative, even for a 94-year-old man. Yes. That's my presumption. Okay. That's what I needed to know, because, again, I was just very concerned about, uh, uh, let's say there's a bull market. Now, for me, I've got a 30- or 40-year time horizon. He doesn't have that. No, and that's why he doesn't need to have a 90% stock allocation. Right. But a 17% stock allocation might be a little too little. Okay, that, that's what I needed confirmed. Um, well, that makes a lot of sense, and that's why I wanted to call you and just check with you. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad I was able to clarify it for you. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, your help. Oh, it's my pleasure, Charlie. Thank you, and best wishes to your father. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742, online at ricedelman.com. We talk often about exponential technologies and why you need to be focused on the future and why you need a portfolio focused on the future, as opposed to filling it with investments that were successful in the 20th century. You need to be focusing on the 21st century. So I'd like to give you a little bit of a snapshot of some of the innovations that are headed our way. Um, one was big news from the SEC this week. The SEC has now approved a pilot project that is using the blockchain to settle securities trades in General Electric and AT&T stock. The SEC is hopeful that this pilot project will demonstrate that Wall Street can process trades faster, cheaper, 
more safely and with greater transparency, enabling expenses to drop for investors. And GE and AT&T stock are the first part of that experiment. By the way, speaking of the blockchain and Bitcoin, uh, which is the digital asset on which blockchain is built, uh, it's all about digitization of money. How often do you use paper currency anymore? Probably not very often, right? You're using credit cards and debit cards. You're using your uh, Apple phone to use Apple Pay when you're at a cash register. Have you been to China lately? Here's what's fascinating. If you're planning to go to China as a tourist, you know, checking out the country and having a lot of fun there, in China, pretty much everybody is using digital tools. They use their phones to pay for taxi cabs, doctors, visits, meals, flights. They use QR codes that are provided from some of the biggest financial companies in China, WeChat Pay and Alipay. And the key is that everybody's pretty much using this. Nobody's using cash in China anymore. Even beggars on the street ask for money via a QR code. Now, this is really fabulous for the 1.4 billion people who live in China. Makes it easier to transact uh, purchases, and you don't have to worry about carrying cash and losing cash or getting mugged for people trying to steal your cash. It's easier to record keep the transactions because it's all data automatically stored in your bank account and so on. It's really terrific. But what if you're a tourist? 140 million people visit China every year, and it's virtually impossible to use WeChat Pay or Alipay unless you have a Chinese bank account. You can't even use credit cards. Most merchants don't accept credit cards because they don't have the scanners to process, you know, to let you swipe or stick the card into the thingamahoogie. You know, so it's, it's a real conundrum. So, you know, when in Rome, do as Roman. So when you're headed to China on your vacation, you might think about not just getting a passport, you might think about getting a Chinese bank account to facilitate your visit. It's really just another illustration of what's going on. That's money. How about the area of healthcare? You know, Japanese researchers have previously shown that they were able to use gene therapy that slowed aging in mice. Yeah, scientists are now discovering that aging itself is a disease. It's not a natural part of life, and they can slow aging. They believe ultimately they'll be able to reverse aging, but for now they have slowed aging in mice. Now they're taking that technology and they are using it in clinical trials on dogs. And if successful that they can slow aging in dogs, they will then begin, you guessed it, human trials. A 50-year-old who stops aging? Cool. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. For free articles on personal finance, sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. A lot of folks had so much fun listening to my conversation about innovative technologies. You want to hear more? Okay, try this. The Internet of Things, you know, we spend all of our decades uh, recently connecting people to the Internet. The next step is connecting things to the Internet. Yeah, 
your fruit will be connected to the internet. Your carton of milk in the fridge will be connected to the internet. And when that carton runs low or the milk goes bad, it'll automatically tell the internet so that new milk will be ordered for you, delivered by your grocer by drone. All that's the internet of things. Bain, a big research company, says that spending on research and development in the internet of things category is going to reach half a trillion dollars by 2021. McKinsey says that the Internet of Things will provide $11 trillion to the global economy by 2025. And another researcher says by 2035, there will be a trillion devices connected to the Internet, outnumbering humans 100 to 1. In other words, pretty much everything in your house will be connected to the Internet. And the future's coming even sooner than that, starting this month in Virginia, Walgreens is delivering products to its customers via drone. They're doing it in the city of Christiansburg. They're delivering purchases within minutes of placing the order. As long as you live within six miles of the store, a drone will drop by your house with whatever it is you just ordered online. Are you a swimmer? Well, a sports tech startup has just released the first ever AR-enabled swim goggles, AR, augmented reality. One lens in the goggles displays performance metrics in real time, showing you how far you've swam, swum, swim, swummed, your stroke count, your calories, your split time. It can even detect the kind of stroke you're swimming. And it notes when you turn around or even take a break. Goggles for swimmers that are high-tech enabled. The New York Police Department is also using high-tech. They're using pattern recognition software that compares crimes committed across their 77 precincts, the first police department in the country to leverage the technology. It's helping the police identify potential patterns to crimes so they can see if it's the same crook doing the same thing in different parts of the city, helping them nail the guy. These are the kinds of developments that are coming in the field of exponential technologies. You can learn more about this in my book, The Truth about your future, an exploration of Expo Tech to help you understand the future that's fast on its way. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money. We're off to Manchester, Connecticut. Bob's with us. How you doing, Bob? I'm all right. How are you, Rick? Doing terrific. What can I do for you it's today? Great to talk to you. You too. I'm 67 years old, and I want to retire next September. Mm-hmm. At that time, my wife and I will be totally out of debt except for our mortgage. Okay. I have a military pension and a pension from work. Mm -hmm. My wife is currently on Social Security, and I plan to start mine next October. Okay. Now, my certified financial planner, and after taking advantage of one of your free retirement reviews, your representative agreed that we can actually live off the pensions and Social Security income without touching the IRAs until we have to. Okay. My biggest concern is Congress and not addressing repairs to Social Security funding and the IRS requiring RMDs. Okay. I, I feel I may not be secure down the road if 15 years from now uh, Social Security benefits are cut 25 or 30 percent mm-hmm. on those benefits. And, uh, you know, I've been draining off 10 to 12 years of erosion on the IRAs mm-hmm. with the required minimum distributions. Got it. And I, I just don't know who to 
to reach out to to say you got to fix this stuff because <laughs> I'm taking the big step. Well, the person you got to reach out to is uh, your are your elected representatives in Congress. Uh, they're the ones that are going to be able to deal with and solve the Social Security crisis and the IRA RMD rules, which, by the way, the IRS is talking about revising. Uh, and that's why we're working so hard by having created the Funding Our Future Coalition to yep. uh, address this whole Social Security situation. So let's get into your numbers particularly. Your pension income adds up to how much? Uh, pension incomes will be combined at around $44,000. Per year? Per year. And Social Security incomes? Will be approximately 42000 Between the two of you? Between the two. And that adds up to $86,000 a year. How much are your monthly expenses? Uh, monthly expenses right now are down, but we, with my retirement review, uh, the gentleman kind of pushed it up to around 6500 per month. And he pushed it up to 6500 a month. For two reasons. One, he calculated more accurately than you as to how much you're really going to spend. And number yep. two, he calculated you can afford it. Yep. Because that 6500 a month translates to about seventy eight grand a year. You are generating pension income and social security income not of seventy eight grand, but eighty six grand, which is why yep. my colleague said to you, you can live just fine without having to tap into your IRAs, which is my next question. What's the value yep. of your IRAs? Uh, I've got approximately 168000 and my wife has 254000 For a total of 422000 and do you have yeah. any other savings and investments? Uh, just savings accounts. You yeah. know, we keep a, a, a six-month uh, reserve. Okay, so we'll ignore all that. And you own your home? Uh, we own the home, but, you know, our mortgage will be going on for a while. So what's the value of the house? Two hundred and fifty thousand, and the mortgage balance is uh, two hundred and thirty. So we're going to pretend there's no equity in the house. Very little, which is fine. That's not a yep. problem at all. So the IRA itself, the combination of those two things at four hundred and twenty-two thousand dollars, can easily be projected to produce about uh, oh about fifteen hundred bucks a month. Um, not that we need to, we're not planning on touching that money, but it's available yep. to you. And that will help compensate you if and when the day comes that the Social Security benefits get cut by 23%, because you express yep. that concern, which is a very real concern. Anybody who's been listening to this radio show for any length of time knows, because I talk about it a lot here on the air, that if Congress does not act under today's law, Social Security benefits starting in 2035, 15 years from now, Social Security benefits will be cut 23%. So uh, we have to recognize that this is a very big deal. Um, Congress must act or we're going to have millions of retirees getting a massive reduction in their Social Security benefits. In your case, it would be a reduction of about $10,000 in Social Security benefits. But guess what? You can make up the difference with your IRAs. So you're fine in that perspective. Okay. <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better on that one. Yeah, I, I, don't th I think you and your, your wife are in excellent financial condition. I think you're in really good shape. As my colleague no doubt told you, the only difference is he needed two hours to do it, and I did it in five minutes. 
Because you talked about an awful lot of stuff that you and I haven't covered, such as your spending circumstances, insurance, uh, the house and the estate planning conversation. There's an awful lot more to talk about, which of course you did. But this quick little math here, uh, I think has just confirmed what uh, he told you. And I'm really glad I was able to confirm it for you. You and your wife are in good economic condition. And I would argue that your plan to retire a year from now could easily be accelerated to Monday. <laughs> no, I'm locked in. I told him that's the date, and that's the date. Okay, so. <laughs> there you are. And uh, so, have a wonderful year. Get excited about what's going to happen after that. Figure out what you and your wife are going to do with yourselves. Uh, you're going to have the opportunity to reinvent yourselves once again. It's going to be wonderfully exciting. Thank you for your military service to our nation, and enjoy yourselves starting next Thank year. Thank you for the call, Rick. It's my pleasure, Bob. Thank you so much. I'm Rick okay. Edelman. You can do what Bob did and call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or visit us online at ricedelman.com. And good luck trying to get me to come up with an answer that is different from one of my colleagues. Well, that's about all the time we have for the program this week. This week, I'll be prepping for next Saturday, the Smart Money Retirement Expo in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Learn more at smartmoneyretirementexpo.com. That's a wrap. As a reward, you'll have no radio for the rest of the week. Go to your room. See you next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on The Rick Edelman Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.